0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: I'd love to start in a more lighthearted way, crack some jokes, get after somebody. We'll hit Aaron Rodgers, too. But we're going to begin with with Simone Biles. And I, I hope that in talking about, literally, the greatest gymnast in the history of the sport, the greatest American Olympian, or at least one of them, in the history of the modern Olympics. I present the kind of sensitivity and nuance that is is necessary without sugarcoating the fact that in sports, in competition, in high-pressure, high-leverage situations, pressure's part of the deal. And if you missed the news, Simone Biles did not have a good performance in the team portion of the competition on the vault. And she made the decision to withdraw from that part of the competition. And in doing that, let it be known, we'll play the sound here in a little bit, that it wasn't a physical ailment that required her to walk away from the opportunity to help her team achieve gold, which they did not do. It wasn't any kind of injury. It was it was the stress and the mental fatigue. And the news just an hour ago, she is also withdrawing from the rest of the Olympics from the individual all around. Now, this is is Tiger Woods pulling out of the Masters in his prime on a Saturday while the favorite. This is LeBron James in game five or six of an NBA finals announcing that the pressure and the stress has gotten to him. And let me start here. I have, I have utter sympathy for, for Simone Biles. And I think the notion or the criticism that she's weak or there's something morally wrong with her or we should load up any kind of vile response is, is stupid and misplaced. It's wrong. But, and there's a but here, my sympathy for that stress the recognition and understanding that that depression, mental illness, anxiety, and wherever this falls is is real. The fact is that one of the reasons that we watch sports, one of the things that's compelling about them is the degree to which pressure and the ability to overcome it or be broken by it is great theater. I I watch Tiger Woods, especially when he was Tiger Woods, to see whether or not wearing red on a Sunday, he could break mentally the competitors he played against. I watched the NBA and the NFL in large part to see whether or not anyone has the mental toughness and fortitude to beat back LeBron James, Michael Jordan back in the day, Tom Brady. And we've talked so much about Aaron Rodgers and we'll do it later in the show. I'm sure there was pressure on Aaron Rodgers when he was at Lambeau in that NFC Championship game against Tom Brady and the Bucs. And I'm sure that pressure and his inability to handle it played a part in the fact that the Packers lost that game. And we got to all the drama that we're involved in now. And so with all respect to Simone Biles and understanding those people who rightfully are, are rallying around her, and do it, go for it, rally around her. I think we all should. But to dismiss the idea that there's nothing to see here, to pretend that it's not the Olympic Games and that pressure isn't part of the actual reality and fabric of what makes this interesting, is silly. If I can quote the Godfather, because why wouldn't you? This is the business they've chosen. Uh, Imagine if LeBron James, and I already referenced this, just decided, think about the criticism we would heap on LeBron James. Michael Corleone, the Godfather, Chose a career, chose a life of pressure. You don't like that the five families are coming after you? You you should have done something else for a living. Or take a more real life in in a serious profession. A heart surgeon, a brain surgeon, I'm sure feels massive pressure. And I would never disrespect or, or not take seriously the anxiety and the stress and the mental toll of what that must be like to have people's lives literally in your hand. But that's the job that you have. My my cousin, Ryan, who I love, who served this country in in Afghanistan and in Iraq, has made the decision upon coming back from serving his country abroad to serve his country here by training and joining a group of men and women who are fighting firefighters on the West Coast, including Oregon. And he would tell you, I would imagine, that pressure's part of the deal. You, You can't separate the hazard from the job in those jobs that bring about massive amounts of stress. My point is this. It is okay that she decided to walk away. It's not a moral failing because failing at sports isn't any kind of judgment morally. But she still failed. She she still couldn't handle the pressure. And that is something worth talking about and, and remembering. There can be, even though we don't do this very often in this country, a middle ground between it's totally acceptable that she walked away and no one's allowed to bring up the fact that, you know, that's part of sports and therefore she let her team down, which, by the way, she did. And that's okay, too. People miss shots all the time. People overthrow receivers all the time. And she's this awful person. How dare she? And I'll give her credit. And I'm not not sleeping on the pressure. Covered gymnastics in 2012, 2012 London Olympics, Gabby Douglas and that Incredible group of, of women who took home gold for America. And I didn't realize until I started covering that sport, m- maybe more than any other sport on earth. And I mean that because they're, they're kids when they start. A- and the space between each level, right? Olympian, non Olympian, alternate, is, is minuscule. Pressure is baked into the job, pressure is part of the deal. And that's true before you actually are the sport. The thing about Simone Biles that is utterly fascinating, that, that is incredibly, incredibly interesting to, to me, is that she is USA Gymnastics. She is international gymnastics. She has literally invented routines that 12 years ago, people thought were physically impossible. And, and I'll, I'll give her more credit. She She came out, she talked to the media, she was honest, she was candid. And that takes... That takes some guts, and that's a pro. I'll let her speak for herself here for, for a moment. Yesterday, Simone Biles, and pulling out of the Olympics, yesterday it was simply, simply is not the right term, but it was pulling out of the, all, the, the team competition. Today, the announcement, she will also not compete in the all-around, which is the individual events for which she qualified for, for all of them, which in and of itself is remarkable. Simone Biles yesterday tried to explain, did explain, her decision
2: no injury thankfully and that's why I took a step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured so I thought it was best if these girls took over and did the rest of the job which they absolutely did They're Olympic silver medalists now and they should be really proud of themselves for how well they did last minute having to go in all
1: right let's give it some context I don't want to pretend out of sensitivity for Simone Biles while I still want to be really sensitive to Simone Biles it's been a really long time an international top competition for women's gymnastics that the United States has not won. And so the the notion of being proud of the women for getting silver, I understand on its face, it's a disappointment. It is considered in the gymnastics community a a failure. And for, for for the young lady who had to go in and compete immediately without having to warm up, that's a difficult spot to be in. Again, Both of the following statements are true, and I I mean them both equally. Simone Biles failed at her sport yesterday, and that's okay. It's okay. You can miss a shot. It doesn't make you a bad person. You can throw three interceptions in an NFC Championship game. It doesn't make you a failure as a human being or no longer a Hall of Famer. And you can find a moment having defined your sport in a way that's never been true before for Simone Biles, having become and earned the moniker as the greatest gymnast in the history of a sport that is as pressure-packed as anything, you can find a moment where you go before those bright and brutal lights, having done it so many times before, and for whatever reason, there are no fans in Tokyo. There's no doubt that's significant. The weight of the world feels heavier for all of us in little ways in this brutal last year. I'm sure that is enhanced for someone like Simone Biles. And just the reality that you're out there because you're not just competing, if you're Simone Biles or any of these Olympians, you're not just competing for yourself, you're competing for your country, and an event like yesterday's, you're competing for, for a team and a group. And, and the weight of that is real, and the pressure of that is real. And, and for Simone Biles to walk out, and in that moment, under those lights, to look up and to feel a burden for the first time in her life that she just didn't, she felt like she could not meet, it's okay. But it's not okay because it's a success or we should pretend that it's a success. It's okay because it's okay to fail. It's okay to come up short. We don't usually think of it in those terms in sports. And if we're being really honest, it's not okay in the moment, right? It's the term okay. It's not a success. This isn't tiddlywinks. I don't mean that to sound disrespectful. There are some professions, there are some things in life Where if you can't handle the pressure, there are consequences. And not even serious things. Politicians. I think we would all agree we probably, most of us, don't root for very many of those. If you get to a point where you have so much anxiety you can't give a speech at the Republican or Democratic National Convention, you can't campaign anymore, that's part of being human. It doesn't mean that you're automatically allowed to be considered this incredible politician and get into office. Competition is part of the deal. Pressure is part of the deal. So it's both for me. I, I feel really bad for Simone Biles. I have deep sympathy and I pass no judgment on her like a lot of people have on Twitter. I mean, just this the vile, awful, ugly, racist, stupid garbage. Please delete your account. However, all right, there's middle grounds here. The people, and there's a lot of them that I work with and, and respect and know, are saying any criticism of Simone Biles, any suggestion that she failed, any suggestion that this was some kind of letdown makes you a bad person. I didn't make up the rules in gymnastics. I'm not the person who decided in sports we should we should keep score, but that's how it works. It's a literal competition. I really 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 feel for her. But I also feel for every one of those gymnasts who counted on her to try and bring home gold for Team USA. Not because she let them down on purpose, but because she let them down in a way that's totally acceptable and part of the deal. People fall. People stumble in gymnastics. People fail in sports. It happens. It happens. Devin Booker, if I can give a recent sports example, had the ball in the NBA Finals with a chance to really capture that series. And he literally lost the ball to Drew Holiday and literally lost the series. And it spoke to him a lot of pressure that got to him over the course of the NBA Finals. Does that make him a bad person? No. Does that justify a bunch of racist or hateful garbage to Devin Booker? Of course not. No. Does that make him some kind of long-term failure of a human being or basketball player? No. Did the pressure get to him? Is it part of the reason the Bucks won? Is that a failure by him in the sense of competing in sports? Is that germane to the conversation when we talk about sports? Yes. Yes. I'm not going to shy away, neither should you, from the difficult conversations. The the talk about mental illness illness in this country should not be mental illness happens, let's not talk about it or pretend it doesn't have an impact. It should be this. Stress, anxiety, fear. It's part of the deal. And it sometimes stops people from being successful, achieving their goals, achieving the goals we've set for them or ourselves. That's the deal. It's not a lifelong scarlet letter, but it's part of the story. And, And let me add this too. And I hope it doesn't come off that I'm making light of, of Simone Biles' situation. But for those of us that work for a living and are not in the one, per, I mean, she's beyond the one percent of the one percent. For those of us that are not the greatest of all time at what we do, and, and I'm not including, you know, I know Garrett Ritt with the whole chocolate thing would would make an argument. Game on. Or whichever one of you came up with Count Chocula for Tom De who's not here today, which is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Most of us are, you know, okay to not very good to find at what we do. Yeah, the joke, sports writer, sports R-E-I-T-E-R, I I know I'm the worst. At the filling. I got it. Just put him right there. I'll, I'll check it out later. But most of us still have to go to work. I have loved ones and friends who've had panic attacks on the way to their everyday jobs, and you know what they do? So they can keep those jobs, they go to the job. It's part of the deal. Doesn't mean that Simone Biles should get extra criticism, but I think it's also worth noting how fortunate for her. That this happened to her when she was already the greatest gymnast of all time, already a multi-time gold medalist Olympian, already I would imagine a very wealthy woman who's earned that money. Because there are athletes who this happens to when they're 11, and 14, and 17, and 23 in the case of sports where you don't, where you don't peak as early as you do in gymnastics. So, so yes, it's a huge story. And Simone Biles like everyone who struggles with these things. And she's not alone. It, it, it's great that it's no, And I think it's brave of her to talk about. And I love what that has to feel like can do for people who have real anxiety in situations where they can't just decide I'm not going to do it. But it's also a, a sports failure, which is okay. It's such a harsh word, right? But sports are literally defined by who wins and who loses. That That's what it is. And so for me, both things are true. Simone Biles was not able to handle the pressure by her own words. And in sports, that's a significant thing if we talk about the sport. And it's okay. People fail. But I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that she's some kind of bad person. And I'm not gonna pretend that yesterday and today she's in this context, in these 48 hours, a raging success story. She's a human being, an athlete who couldn't handle the pressure, and that's worth talking about, and that's tough. And I feel for her. All right. Jim Rome show here, Bill Ryder filling in, at Jim Rome. JimRome.com. Rider sports, sports, R-E-I-T-E-R, if you want to hit me up. I don't know what else possibly could have happened that we would have opened this show or any show with gymnastics. And I covered gymnastics. That was a weird experience. I didn't know anything about it. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like the course keeps changing right before your eyes. And in order to maneuver it, you need an expert by your side. That's what Dell Technologies Advisors do. They have the tech solutions you need to help you get out in front and stay ahead of the game. Woo! Call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL and do more with modern devices in Windows 10 Pro. Now we'll get a perspective from a guy that actually knows Aaron Rodgers, played with him, Won a Super Bowl, former Packer, great guy, my buddy, Brady Papinga. Mr. Papinga, happy Wednesday, buddy. What's going on? Hey, Billy. How you doing, man? Always fun to jump on with you. Doing great. So the Rodgers drama has concluded in the sense that we know that he's going to be there. And I'm trying to, I think, I wanted to give you the credit, but I could. I think you're the guy that called he was going to play in Green Bay, right? I think you you, you called that on my show a month or two ago.
2: Absolutely. I never thought he would not play in Green Bay. I knew if there was any other alternative, it'd be just he doesn't play at all. There would just be a stalemate and Packers would be waiting for him to to break and vice versa.
1: But I never once thought in 2021 he'd be playing for another team. Braden Bapinga, how reasonable is it for Aaron Rodgers or any other quarterback of 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 note of, of that level of ability, right? If you're a top three, four, five guy in the game, and he's the reigning MVP, how in a football col- culture, how realistic is it to want to have the kind of input that he just told us over the, I don't know if you, you probably didn't get a chance to hear the press conference, but he said, he, you know, he'd like more input in free agency. He'd like more input in, in, in the NFL draft. Is that a reasonable expectation in 2021 in the National Football League?
2: Well, here's the thing. You go and you compare LaFleur, and his experience in the NFL, it pales, pales in comparison to Aaron Rodgers. You look at the, the, the most of the, the scouting department who's out there, again, so for first given input, scouting department's giving input, has very little experience in comparison to Aaron Rodgers. And so when a quarterback's been at it for 15 years, 16 years, and he's the same age, and he's seeing of uh, these scouts, uh, same age as the head coach, all who have pretty big say. At least they give a lot of input. Not to say they, you know, will sway a decision here or there, but they're going to give a lot of input. And all of a sudden, just because Aaron is between quotations a player, he can't give his input and be involved in any of this process. I think that's, I think that's what you called outdated, and one of those things that makes zero sense when you look at football knowledge. Aaron is at the point in his career where he could could walk into the Greenland Packer team facility and say, I have the greatest football knowledge and experience out of anybody, including the general manager. So if that's true, which it is, why wouldn't you lean on that? So he's just speaking in terms of common sense. I mean, come on, use your resources. The guy's been through it. He's seen it all. And oh, by the way, he's going to be out there playing with these guys. So go, go see what he says. And then obviously you give him the old, hey, we'll take your feedback, but it doesn't mean we're going to actually
1: do it kind of caveat. But it's good to get his input, absolutely. Brady Papinga on the Jim Rome Show. So what's the disconnect here? Is this just the outdated, maybe somewhat ego-driven football worldview that we don't take the players' opinions, stay in your lane? Is it specific to this GM and this front office? How did Green Bay get sideways with what you're describing as a, as a pretty – Pretty reasonable request.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can imagine Green Bay is built on rich tradition. You know, that's really what Green Bay and a lot of, you know, of these historic programs, the Yankees, the Dodgers, you could go down the list, you know, the Packers. And then on top of it, the structure of the Packers is such that where there's no owner. So every single person... Within the organization, answers to somebody. Doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the last person on the roster. You have somebody you answer to. And so there is this sense that hey, you have your role, you stay and you do your role, and you don't overlook somebody else's shoulder and give them any idea of what they should do with their job. That's outdated. You know, there, there needs to be more of a collaborative effort. And it, and it needs to be less what you would say traditional and be more just, hey, play to your strengths. If you got a player, and it doesn't matter, I think the position, it could be any position. But if you have a player that has tremendous experience, success, whatever it is, more so than even the guys you're leaning on to give scouting evaluations, I would take that information. And again, I, I, I'd always leave it with the caveat. Now, you know, this, I appreciate your feedback. We'll, we'll see what we do, but I'd constantly be leaning on that sort of information just because it's so rich. It has so much to it because you got the players' perspective. Most of the scouts, there are some who have playing experience, but most of them have been taught how to evaluate film, and they're looking at literally just through film, and then you know from an objective, or I should say, a standpoint of from like a you know the stands or something, not from a player's perspective. So it's purely traditional, and Aaron's asking, hey, let's do something non-traditional. Which again, Aaron is somebody of common sense. That's what I believe pretty much kinda of set this off is he'd ask he's a disruptor. You know, he's one of those guys that he's sitting there going, Why are we doing this? This makes no sense And then the Packers wanting to stay more in line with this is how we've always done it mentality. And then boom, there's there's your conflict because one person realizes it doesn't make sense, the other one probably does they, they probably think it doesn't make sense either, but they're doing what they've always done and now you got a you know, a huge discussion that lasts what, six months and and I still believe it's gonna be ongoing through the season. This this isn't the end, Billy. This and this is what's so <laughs> awesome about this situation. Many people and, and I could be wrong on this, you know, in the sense of it could be literally a setup to where this isn't Laren's last year that he's traded. I know Aaron. What I see this as is Aaron has set it up to where now he gets to bet on himself. And what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is after this season he's gonna control his destiny. He's either going to be able to have a strong position with the Green Bay Packers and say to him, guys, commit to me long-term, beyond 2022, 23, 24, because I just played at an MVP level. Let's say if he repeats last year. Or he says to them, if they want to move on to Jordan Love at any point, well, okay, then then, then let's, let's trade me, but I still am in position to get a market deal because he's going to be able to go to whichever team they want to trade him for or trade him to, and say, I'm not going to be a lame duck player. I want a long-term deal. So everybody has been talking about, what did I really get out of this? Well, What he got out of this is he's now going to bet on himself and be in an ideal position to negotiate next year because he knows he's going to play at an MVP caliber this year.
1: Brady, I agree. I, I think he won. And, and you know what? Good for him. Brady here on here on the show. Let me ask you a question that doesn't have the same significance it might have had Rodgers not shown up. But what you've seen, what you've heard, you're a former Packer, you know a lot of people there. What do you think Jordan Love is as a quarterback in the NFL whenever that time rolls around?
2: Nobody knows. He's one of those guys that has a lot of ability. And it's the same with Aaron. You know, I would say for the first three years of Aaron's career, first, uh, yeah, like, I'll take that back, like two and a half years, I had no idea if he was going to be capable of even being an NFL starter, let alone going in and replacing a legend and becoming a legend of his own. And that's the same with Jordan Love. It's like, they, he's got attributes, he has flashes, and you'll never know unless you throw him in there, and that's what happened with Aaron. What put him over the top was when it was 2007, Thanksgiving night in Dallas, Favre hits his funny bone after, I think, a few series. We're down, I don't know, two or three touchdowns. In comes Aaron, and he just lights the place on fire I end up, by the way, going to the same party on that Friday after the game as John Schneider, who at the time was the assistant general manager to Ted Thompson. Now John Schneider is the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks, and he, he downs a bunch of brewskis. He's drunk, and he's just starting to just, you know, basically speak his mind to me in this loud party atmosphere. And he lets me know we got our guy, and I'm like, "What do you mean we got a guy? Aaron is our guy." do you see how he played? I go, yeah, he was, he was fantastic. He's like, no more of this Brett Favre. Is he retiring or not? We got our guy. And I was like, whoa, that was some pretty hot information there. And he, and then after he told that, the following Monday when he came back into work, he punched me down in the facility and goes, Brady, what stays in Vegas, ha- or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That was that. <laughs> but that was the moment, you know, and Jordan Love has not had that moment. And so, That's why, to me, if you're the Packers, you're still open-minded if Aaron goes out and has an MVP-caliber season to to keep him there beyond 2023 and into the future as long as he wants to play.
1: That is an amazing story, Brady. And just a reminder, you don't need truth serum if you have enough Schlitz handy or Budweiser (laughs) or Grain Belt or whatever your beer of choice is, my friend. Brady Babinga (laughs) here on the Jim Rome Show. All right, last one for you. So... How do you think, knowing everything you know, knowing the personalities, knowing in a way very few people on earth do, the actual culture of a locker room, how are the guys, how are the players, how is that locker room going to respond to Aaron Rodgers, given everything that's transpired?
2: The guys that are just arrived are going to be in awe, because he has a mystique now. He has this aura of being one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. It's how I felt when I first saw Brett Favre walk in and and I was starting to now be his teammate. I was like, wow. So it's, that's going to be what happens. And then the guys that had been there, they know Aaron. They know that, it, that he's going to be ready. And they know that he's the ultimate competitor. And again, they did the whole drafting Jordan Love thing, ignited his fire last year. This whole situation where now he's basically, he knows like this is the year for him to explode and establish himself. Because I believe, this is what I believe. I believe he wants to stay in Green Bay. I believe he wants to do, because he's so competitive, he wants to do what Brett Favre couldn't do, what Tom Brady couldn't do, what Joe Montana couldn't do, and, uh, and that is stay with the same organization from the beginning until the end, and then he wants to leave on his own terms. He doesn't want to be cut. He doesn't want to be traded away. He doesn't want to be kind of forced out. He wants to, you know, when he's still feeling good, so okay, i ready to step away and do something else. So when when that's all that's all motivating him, and he knows this is the year to do that, and his team's gonna see him zipping that ball, throwing with surgical precision, leading, competing, there's not gonna be a step missed. They're gonna be on flying on all cylinders. And he's got his boy Randall Cobb coming into town. A lot of chemistry there. I mean, it's it's gonna be interesting. I, I just think this is his his moment. Is he's, he's gonna explode again? I'm, I'm telling you, like the, it's, the stage is set for him to have a huge season. The key is for him to just stay
1: healthy. All right, I'm, I'm going to draft him. I'm, I'm going to draft him early in fantasy football, Brady. You've, you've got me there. Mr. Papinga. Yeah. Great stuff, buddy. And you called it. You called he would be back if he was going to play football. He'd be back in Green yeah. Bay, Wisconsin. Love the insight. You're a good man. Hope the family's good, buddy. Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on. Always a pleasure, Billy. See you, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day, buddy. Thanks, dude. You too. Awesome, dude. Awesome. I'm Brady's a great guy. At Brady Papinga on Twitter
0: trade pros whether you specialize in service or new construction ferguson knows
2: firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right with over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you.
1: It's go time in Major League Baseball if you think you're a contender. Or if you think you're a seller. Trade deadline baron down. Names like Max Scherzer are available, potentially. Names like Chris Bryant are available, potentially. And there are some contenders, the Dodgers come to mind, who need reinforcements. And there are some perennial contenders, the Yankees, who are in a really interesting position. So to make sense of it, we're going to go to former longtime GM, MLB analyst, colleague of mine at CBS Sports HQ, all-around good dude, Jim Bowden. Jim, what's going on, man?
3: Hey, Bill. Great to be with you. Really fun time. Loving this uh, trade deadline. It is going to be crazy yeah, before it's all said and done.
1: I mean, we've already seen some tears, man. Like you already got former Mariner, now Astro, Kendall Grayman, And I'm not making fun of the guy. Get, getting emotional. What is, is there a way that you're supposed to handle trading a beloved player internally, politically, before you do it as a GM?
3: You know, I just think the most important thing as a GM is to be transparent, be honest up front with the players. Um, you know, if you can give them a heads up prior to, that's better than the big surprise when it happens. But, you know, again, as long as you're honest with the players, tell them the truth, tell them what's going on, normally that's the that's going to have the best result from the player, from the media, from the front office. So that's how I always handle it.
1: Jim Bowden here on the show. Jim one of the great scenes, I thought, from Moneyball, and the whole thing was amazing, is when Billy Bean's character, Billy Bean, in the film played by Brad Pitt, talks about how you, you tell a guy he's been traded. You get in there, it's direct, it's no nonsense, you get in and out. It's almost like it's not firing someone, but it feels like it almost. For you, when you or someone in your organization had to deliver that message, how did you say it? What was your approach to, hey, you've been traded, you're going somewhere else? Yeah, I mean,
3: you bring them into the office, and normally if, if we're at home and the deal is made, then the player would come into the office where the field manager and the GM would be, and we'd sit there and say, uh, you know, we've got some news to tell you. We have traded you, and first of all, I want to thank you for all your contributions to the organization and what you've meant, if if you meant it, of course, <laughs> and um, and say, you know, we, we try to make this deal. We think it's in the best interest of our team, and... We also think this is a good opportunity for you at the at the new place. And the reactions are, you know, very different. You know, I, I had extremes. You know, I had Dion Sanders who cried and almost retired from baseball, and I traded him to the San Francisco Giants back in 1995. So you have different reactions at different times. I've had other players that wanted to fight. I've had other players that appreciated the the opportunity of getting traded to to a team like when I traded Brett Boone to Atlanta, who appreciated a chance to go to the Braves, go to a contending team. So, all of the reactions are different. But again, the best play: just be honest with the player, tell him the truth, look him in the eye, tell him, you know, why you did it, etc., and thank him for what he did for your organization while he was there. Simple as that.
1: Jim Bowden here on the show. Jim, um, Max Scherzer made me available. That is obviously a very talented guy and a pretty serious asset. If you're making a run. The Dodgers are certainly in in need of some starting pitching, which we would not have anticipated was the case at the start of the year. The Giants are are, are contenders. I don't want to leave teams out. What do you think the market will be for Scherzer if he's moved?
3: Well, first of all, he's going to be traded, uh, I've been told, um, this morning. So there's enough on the table already to know he's going to go. So between now and the deadline, um, it looks like it's going to be either the Giants or the Dodgers. Now, that doesn't mean – that San Diego can't come out of nowhere and pull it off. It doesn't mean the Red Sox can't. But all indications I'm getting is it's going to probably be Dodgers or Giants. Uh, I think they're going to get a top-five prospect back. because See, the thing about Max that's different than most guys are going to be traded here in the next 48 hours is Max is a difference maker in October. He can either win you the wild card game or he can win you a playoff series or he can help win you a World Series, which he did for Washington two years ago. Um, you saw him start the all-star game. This is a difference maker. He's a leader in the clubhouse. He's a mentor. He checks all the boxes. You're going to have to pay It's going to hurt. you got to pay a price for him. No one else is going to get, I don't think, the kind of return they're going to get for Scherzer. But, for example, if you're, if you're the Dodgers, I think Kiebert Ruiz has to be in the deal. And I think if you're the Giants, you've got to either put Luciano, Bart, or, or Helio or Ramos in the deal. So you're going to get a top guy along with more. Uh, you'll get a top 15 prospect with that. But that's the type of return. And and also remember the Nationals might package Trey Turner, which would make it a much bigger deal. Uh, they also might package Brad Hand or Daniel Hudson with him as well. Um, and and the reason I bring that up is sometimes when, if you can connect Scherzer with Turner, imagine the package. Because now instead of just Kiebert Ruiz or Diego Cartaya, you're also getting Gavin Lux. You're also getting Josiah Gray because you're going to control Turner for next year as well. So, again, this is this is going to be interesting, but the Scherzer return will be the best that we see any team gets by the time this thing's done Friday at 4 o'clock Eastern time.
1: Jim Bowden here on the Jim Rome Show telling us, letting us know he is hearing Max Scherzer will be traded. And the Giants-Dodgers think, to me, Jim, isn't just interesting because they're in the same division and they're big-time rivals and they're both very, very good baseball teams. Andrew Freeman, who runs baseball ops for the Dodgers, and Farhan Zaidi, who does that for the Giants, are, are friends, formerly worked together in, in L.A. Does that dynamic, that competitive dynamic, the fact they know each other, the fact that it's the Giants and the Dodgers, do you think there's a chance that it runs the price up on Scherzer to the point where it's the most we've seen go for that level of player in a long time? I think so,
3: yeah. I, I would say so. I mean, because, you know, we're watching on the field the Giants beat the Dodgers. I mean, they're ahead, so... You know, this is real competitive right now. Um, and, and there's no doubt there's that GM rivalry between the two. The other factor you have to put in there as well is, remember, Stan Kasten was with the Nationals, has a relationship with the Lerners, which is mixed, by the way. And then there's the question, just, is Ted Lerner going to want to trade Max Scherzer to the Dodgers after they won the World Series in 20? <laughs> or is he going to rather have him go to San Francisco? And then and then thirdly, we got to factor in the fact that Max Scherzer's got a complete no-trade, and he can really determine where he wants to go with his agent, Scott Boras. So if they sit there and they decide, I want to be a Dodger because I want to pitch with Clayton Kershaw. We're both going to the Hall of Fame. How fun would it be to have an October with the two of us in it? If he decides to do it, he can do it. He can, he can just go to Washington and say, hey, the only place I'm going to approve is the Dodgers. That can happen. Now, so far it hasn't. All indications are that he will approve a deal to either San Francisco or L.A. That's what I'm hearing. I'm also hearing he will not approve a deal to, to some of the East Coast teams. So we got to make sure we factor that in as well. So that's why it's going to be fun. The drama's there, and, you know, there is a bidding war, a, a prospect bidding war that's going on right now. The Dodgers are an interesting position because they have two top catching prospects in Cartea and Ruiz, so it's going to be easy for them to put one of the two in there to start the deal and then, then work off of that. Um, so again, this is going to be interesting to the end because I think he could go either
1: place. Jim Bowden on the show, Jim, how how do how do the Dodgers keep producing this farm system that just feels like year after year after year? I mean, you have Seager, you have Bellinger, you have you have Lux, you have Bueller, you have the guys you just mentioned who are prospects. Are they just spending more money internationally? Are they scouting better? What's going on in L.A.
3: or with Combination, Combination of everything. Uh, They put a lot of money in development and scouting. They put a lot of money in research and development. They do a really good job of developing prospects, not just drafting them. Um, They have really good minds. They pay scouts a lot more than most teams do. They have more scouts than most teams do. They have a bigger analytic department than most teams do. So they put the money there, and then they make really good judgments. Andrew Friedman's a really smart guy, as is Farhan Zaidi, for that matter. And, and i got to tell you, the job Farhan Zaidi has done in rebuilding a Giants farm system in two years is, is just remarkable. Like, if you had told me that, that he, could, he could change that farm system as quickly as he has, I wouldn't have believed you. And, and I think that's a, a story that's really not being written enough here in baseball. So, um, Farhan and Andrew are two of the smartest people. When you walk into a room, they're normally the two smartest guys in the room.
1: Uh, Jim Bowden, last one on the Dodgers-Giants so I can bounce around. But if it were, and I know it's not the way it's going in New York, but if Brian Cashman were the best GM or one of the best heads of baseball ops in America and were dominating year after year and let his beloved, respected, really bright deputy you go to the Red Sox and you turn the Red Sox around in two years might be a big story. Are, are we talking enough about Do you have a perspective on the fact that kind though it is the Dodgers let Farhan Zaidi go interview for the job that he now has that turned around the Giants.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, but I think at the same time, I think in this game we've, uh organizations and the industry in general, have never tried to hold people back from improving their, an opportunity for their careers and their families. And, you know, it's, the last place you want Farhan Zaidi to go is San Francisco in your division. There's no question about that. But at the same time, are you really going to deny permission when he had a chance to have full autonomy in running the Giants? I mean, I don't know how you can do that. So you had to make a choice at that point between Andrew and Farhan, and at the end of the day, obviously, they went with Farhan who had hired. Um, who Andrew had hired Han, so they they went with Andrew, which obviously was the best play there.
1: Jim Bowden on the Jim Rome Show. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for Jim. Jim, if the National when the Nationals trade Scherzer, if they trade Trey Turner, let's say the Cubs decide to be sellers and move on from Chris Bryan or whoever else it might be. If you're fans of those teams and the Cubs have won a World Series in the not that distant future, the Nationals have done the same. How long does a rebuild take today? I mean, can you look at the Giants and believe that's? a realistic timeline or is it more like three or four years for these organizations to hopefully get back to contention
3: i mean it depends on how far you you trade down right it's it takes five to seven years if you go bare bottom so if you do what the astros did to get where they went the nationals where they went the cubs to get that world championship it was five to seven years that's the normal timeline But some of these organizations that don't completely go down, you can do it a little bit faster. Um, San Francisco did it faster, obviously, but they've done it with a lot of veteran older players, right? I mean, you had great years from Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, guys who were already there. You didn't completely knock it all the way down. If the Cubs were to trade all four of those guys, Kimball, Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo, um, if they don't re-sign them in the offseason and decide to rebuild from scratch, it's five to seven years. If, if they were to retain all four guys, then realistically you can turn around quicker and faster than that. So, um, But the long term, it's five to seven. That's the most. And if you can do it in three, great.
1: Jim, who, um, who on the edge should be buyers or sellers this year? What teams like the Yankees or whoever else you're, you're keeping an eye on do you think should make a decision one way or, or the other? as this deadline approaches?
3: Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you need to know where your team is and be realistic. You know, I think the Mariners are kind of in between their buying and selling because they're realistic to know that they're only one game out in the wild card, but they're really building for, you know, 22, 23, and 24 because they realistically know they're not going to catch Houston. Um, So they're in between. The Yankees are like that. They're in between, only two and a half out in the wild card, but they're not catching Boston. They're nine behind them. They're in between, so if they buy, you can't just buy for a one-game wild card. If you buy, you need to buy, so you're planning not just for this year, but 22 and 23, et cetera. The obvious buyers are Boston, Tampa, the White Sox, Houston, Oakland, the Mets, Phillies, Braves, uh, Brewers, Giants, Dodgers, Padres. Those are the teams we know should buy. The teams that uh, should sell are Washington, Miami, cardinals cubs pirates diamondbacks rockies rangers angels for me even though they're five out they should be selling uh, minnesota kansas city detroit cleveland even though they're five out in the wild card should be selling baltimore should sell and toronto should buy
1: jim Bowden, last question for you chris bryant former mvp has looked pretty good at times this year do you think he's moving on and do you see a fit he's
3: getting traded I don't see him going back to the Cubs either. I think he ends up either in San either in San Francisco or the New York Mets by Thursday at four. All
1: right, that is um, that is not music to my ears as a Cubs fan, but I will accept it because you know what—that's part of being a Cubs fan, Jim Bowden. Things don't always go the way that you want. It's going to be a hell of a trade deadline. Appreciate the insight. I know you're a busy dude, Jim. Thanks for um, thanks for making time. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. See you, buddy. Man, Jim. Jim Bowden is, is good at his job. All right, so a little news for you from Jim Bowden here on the show. Chris Bryant's go- It's actually the right thing for the Cubs. I don't like it. They, they should just tear it down. Bryant going to the Giants or to the Mets. As I've said many times, even though he likes to lie and pretend I said nice things about Dwight Howard, which I don't, I will not ever admit happened. I don't think it did. Jeff Goodman and I met. On the gym room TV show back in the day, Goodman has blown up, huge career, super connected guy, covers hoops at both levels, really all levels, college, NBA, AAU, perfect guy to talk to, especially come NBA draft time, Mr. Goodman, how far we have come. What's up, buddy?
0: You're interrupting me watching the Aaron Rodgers uh, news conference right now. We're gonna kinda play.
1: Interesting. Yeah, we're gonna play it in like 20 minutes. What? How's he strike you? Pretty, pretty, pretty candy? good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive. Kind of just even keel tone. Every question, never getting frustrated or flustered. Seems to be just kind of telling the truth. And you know, I was so sick of this dude for the last two months. I've been so sick of hearing about him every day. And now I'm like, all right, like I'm good now. I'm good. Let's. Let's watch him play again because he is so much fun to watch play.
1: He won you over that quickly, huh? Okay,
0: okay. that quick. Yeah, it doesn't take much with me.
1: <laughs> I, I remember Jeff Goodman here on the Jim Rome Show. <laughs> All right, so let's um, let's talk this draft and let's start a, a it. How good is this kid that's going to be taken number one overall? What what is because every year, right? Then whoever the number one pick projected is, there's a lot of praise analysis. Give us some some perspective where you think Cade Cunningham's going to be in – one, two, five years in the NBA?
0: I mean, the, the, the name I'll give you, and, and again, I'm not saying he's going to be him, but there's a lot of similarities between Cade and Luca. okay? They're both big, six seven, six eight point guards who just make people better. Neither are great, great athletes. They know how to play. High IQ, tough, strong, know how to use angles. Not great shooters. But Cade shot 40% from three last year at Oklahoma State, which was incredible because he even said to me before the year, he's like, you yeah, know, that's definitely my weakness. I don't, I don't think I'm a great shooter, um, but he shot 40. He's a better defender than Luka. The, the big difference is Luca can just score at such a ridiculous level because of his footwork, because of his IQ, because of his ability to use angles. Cade isn't going to be that. Like, I don't think Cade's going to be a guy that, you know, can average 25 a game. But I think he can be a guy that, that is a cornerstone franchise player for the Detroit Pistons uh, as long as they surround him with enough. And that's kind of been the problem with Luca, right? Like, Porzingis isn't very good. Like, they don't have enough. So, unless they do that for Luca, he's going to be a, probably a one-and-out guy most years in the, in the postseason. Obviously, Cade's team around him. I mean, they don't have anything. I mean, you know, Sadiq Bay. Like, they, there's just not much there. So, but I love Cade. I, I think he's an intangible guy too. From the moment I saw him play an AU ball uh, a few years ago, just fell in love with him because he is all about the right things.
1: Jeff Goodman here on the show from from Stadium. Jeff, I I, I almost hate asking you about the mental toughness of a of a kid, right? Of a young man, but I, I'm going yeah. to just because it's it's significant. It's a part of sports. It's interesting now given Osaka and, and Biles and just the pressure we saw play itself out as it always does in the NBA finals. And you brought up Luca because everything you said tracks. And I was thinking, man, and Luca is just maybe because he played abroad, right? Had to play with men when he was a young kid. He is so mentally tough. For whatever reason, he is fearless. And that, that plays itself out in a real way. A- any sense of that part of, of Cade Cunningham? And not just now, but obviously where that'll be as he matures and get some NBA experience.
0: Man, he, he's, he's got that it factor for me. Like, doesn't get rattled.
1: He's very self-aware. Again,
0: most kids, when you ask them before they play the college game, you know, strengths, weaknesses, they're not, you know, they're not going to necessarily be honest with it. cave was, like, super honest about, hey, I got to get better at this. I got to get better at, obviously, his perimeter shot, even taking care of the ball. Like, he, he probably ha- – probably listed off to me more weaknesses than strengths. So I think he's he's not only self-aware, um, but confident. Confident enough to be able to do that. A lot of kids won't, right? Um, I I just think, again, he's an intangible guy. He's a, a high IQ guy. He's going to be able to handle the pressure. But there's not going to be, you know, again, he's going to be in Detroit. So for the first year or two, there's not going to really be any pressure because people are expecting they're still going to stink.
1: Jeff Goodman on the show. Goodman, how good is the rest of the draft? I mean, I know it's hard to know and it's, it's hard to get a sense. And sometimes we look back at, at drafts that we thought were really deep and they weren't. And, and sometimes it goes the other way. But best guess, your view, talking to people in college basketball and the NBA, how good is this draft? You know, one to ten, one to fifteen, one to one to thirty.
0: One to four, it's really good. it's a four-man draft to me and then a big gap and and it's Cade and Jalen Green who I think Houston takes at two. Cleveland I think they take Evan Mobley out of USC at three skilled seven footer and and four is the guy that I thought might have a chance to go number one early on in the college year Jalen Suggs I mean he's an unbelievable talent at the point guard spot in Toronto will hit the the home run here by getting the number four pick and probably teaming Jalen Suggs with Fred VanVleet for their backcourt of the future. And Suggs can replace uh, Kyle Lowry there. Then you got a little bit of a gap, you know, down to maybe five at Scotty Barnes or James Booknight or Davion Mitchell or Franz Wagner, some of those guys coming I, I think then it's kind of your ordinary draft really from five to 20, not a lot of disparity though, from five to 20, in my opinion. Um, There's some good value towards the the back end of the first round. You know, kids like Bones Highland from VCU moving up. Um, Jared Butler, you know, from Baylor who had some medical issues and has had him for years. I mean, what people don't realize is Alabama as a freshman was there for two months, wasn't admitted, and had to go to Baylor. He wasn't sure he'd ever be able to be cleared to play Played without incident for the last three years at Baylor. Oh, by the way, won a national title, and and now I think we'll go somewhere in the twenties. And whoever gets him is getting an even better player, uh, kid, than player. And he's one hell of a player.
1: Goodman, we and I don't want to make too much. I don't want to be too much of a captive of the moment. But the Suns just made an NBA Finals, and there are some guys in that team that were drafted not as the number one overall pick or the number two overall pick. Now DeAndre Ayton was the number one overall pick, but some. Some good players in that team, they drafted at spots where you got to find value. The Atlanta Hawks made the Eastern Conference Finals. Trey Young was, if I remember right, third as part of that Lucas swap. But some of those other guys that Travis Schlenk, and I think he's done a great job, the GM in Atlanta brought in, were spread throughout the first round, and in some cases beyond. Are there some value guys out there, lower first round, mid-first round, beyond the first round, who you think we could look back in three or four or five years, maybe they're not all-star superstars, but are really important pieces on a pretty good team. Some, some value that translates in the modern NBA.
0: Yeah, I mean, middle of the first round, you're talking a kid who's moved up is Chris Duarte, four-year player out of Oregon, good size, six-five, can score it from all three levels, but a really good shooter and can guard And You know, the big knock on him, he's, he's 23 years old. And you know the deal with NBA guys. Well, you know, he's 23, you don't have as much upside. I just I feel sometimes that's so much garbage because like if Golden State at fourteen can get Chris Duarte, now I I think Golden State really Bob Myers should be looking at packaging seven and fourteen, and something else whether it's Wiseman or Wiggins probably Wiggins if it's me, I, like I would I would offer Tommy Shepard in Washington seven fourteen Wiggins for like Beal and maybe somehow I don't think Shepard would do it but if Beal. If Beal does demand a trade, right. you know how that thing works. You know, he only wants to go to certain teams. Yep. I mean, imagine Beal and Golden State.
1: We just talked about this. I just talked – it's a – I mean, I've heard that that's what they want, right? I mean, I mean, they want a top scorer, and there aren't <laughs> – they don't grow on trees. There aren't many available. It sounds like Lillard may wait a little bit. I just right. – it's not – how do you evaluate Wiseman? Because that's part of the converse. Let's say it's Wiseman 7-14. Do you think – Wiseman, it's only one year, is worthy of that kind of a return as part of the of what brings back Bradley Beal. Do you believe he'll be great at year three or year four in the NBA?
0: I mean, I think he could be DeAndre Ayton.
1: That's pretty good. I
0: do? Yeah. Like, I I don't know, you know, maybe a little bit short of DeAndre Ayton on the offensive end, but I think he could be better on the defensive end. So that's how I would kind of say his value his career might kind of um, might go in the next few years. So if you're saying, you know, yeah, he's not going to be necessarily an all-star, but he's a top 50 player in the NBA in three, four years, and you give seven and 14, and you give, you know, it depends what you think of like Wiggins, right? Like I'm not a big Wiggins guy. I don't guy. Think much.
1: Yeah, we're usually on the right. same page. I'm
0: I yeah. rather, if I'm Tommy Shepard, I'm calling the Celtics. And, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this here in Boston. They think I'm crazy, but uh, I'm calling the Celtics and saying, "Hey, would you do Jalen Brown for for Beal?"
1: Yeah, I mean, they're not. I don't think you're doing that straight up. If you're Boston, are you? Sure. You know, Beal and Tatum went to the same high school and are boys, yeah. right? I just mean, I think I want. I guess you have a young star you can build around. I just, I want the. I think there's going to be a a bidding war for Beal if he's available. I think you can get more.
0: I love Beal. I mean, How I've always do. loved Deal. And a great guy,
1: like a great dude. And, and you know what he is
0: that people don't realize? Like, he averaged six assists a couple of years ago. He, he's needed to score, obviously, in Washington, but he can really move the basketball. It's a great call. And that's where I think he and Tatum would work together much better. Tatum and Jalen Brown, to me, just they just look like they haven't played together
1: it's this past int- year. I mean, it's an interesting, and it's another reason, your, your point, Jeff Goodman, why Bill will be so good on that Warriors team. Before I run out of time, I want to ask you this. I ask every year people this. Not everybody can be great. Not every story can be a success. Not every guy that gets drafted pans out often, right? So give me of the guys in the top four that are going the most likely guy who's not going to work out. Just if you had to just say one guy that's got the highest percentage of not working out, very rarely do the top four guys in NBA draft all go the direction they're supposed to. Who's, who's that guy?
0: Boy, I think they're all going to be good, but I would say Mobley in terms of... And I think Mobley's going to be solid. But the only thing that scared me with Mobley was, I remember talking to him before the year, and I we got on to loving the game. He said, he's like, when I was younger, I didn't love the game. And that mm. just scared me. You know, because like the great ones, I feel like, love the game from an early age. You can you can learn and grow to love the game, and I think he has to some extent. I just don't think he's got alpha dog in him. I think he'll always be, and this isn't bad. Trust me, you know this right now. He'll always be like the highest level, like Chris Middleton. Two guys.
1: That's pretty good. All right, Jeff Goodman, it's always bizarro and awesome when uh, we hang out in the Jim Rome Show. All that's missing is Courtney Cox. And the uh, cast of Cougar Town, where you took me to hang out, where she—I'm um, not going to tell you—we got to
0: go back. I'm, we we got to find her. We, we got to be those people that let's they, go. Um,
1: I felt a connection. Literally,
0: yeah, hound her. Next I mean, time we we, sp- we get out, speak We'll probably yourself. get arrested.
1: I'll just be like Bill Ryder. She'll be like, oh, I remember you, or or in my memory, oh, I remember you. She had such a deep voice. She was very beautiful. She had a sore throat. I she know. had a sore throat that day. She was nervous around us, or yeah, not? That, that's it. Jeff Goodman. Hey, buddy, congrats on the success. Appreciate you coming on, dude.
0: Likewise, man. We'll talk soon. Be well.
1: You got it, buddy. You too. Jeff Goodman. Good
0: night.